your Bible, I'm going to turn to John chapter 7, uh, verse number 37, and I'm going to read through John 37 through 39, and a great passage of scripture um, that I I actually put together a message on a while back, and then the Lord kind of shifted me in a different direction, and I just felt to pick it up and revisit tonight um, what God spoke to me then. John 7, I'm going to start reading in verse number 37. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The New King James, or the King James Version says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And here is the pivotal verse in verse number 39. It says, now this he said about the Spirit. Everybody say the Spirit. This he said about the Spirit, whom those believing in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. It says the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so, I want to look a little bit closer at this passage tonight. And I want to talk about our need for the Holy Ghost. How many of you believe we need the Holy Ghost? Amen. God is is willing for every single person to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We had many, uh, several weeks here lately where people have been filled with the Spirit. But I want want to take a little different angle on it tonight and talk to you from this topic. Consider the source. Somebody say, consider the source. Anybody ever said that to somebody? So, we all have friends like this. You ever argue with a friend that, that you don't agree with about something and they'll, they'll quote something to you and you say, where would you hear that from? <laughs> and they'll give you their favorite news outlet um, and, you, and you'll say, well, consider the source. You know, <laughs> Consider who you're listening to. And, and you, can, you can argue back and forth with one another and it's always this, consider the source. So I want to talk to you and I want us to consider the source tonight. And uh, I wonder if you'd just pray with me, if, you, if you'd ask the Lord to help us here tonight to understand His Word and to understand His will for our heart and for our life. Would you just bow your head and pray, Lord, God, we thank You for Your presence that we feel in this room. We thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You for Your goodness. We pray that You would speak to our hearts, God, and that You would change what's flowing out of us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord, that Your will would be done, that Your kingdom would come. And that you would confirm your word with signs following. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Somebody say, consider the source. Where things come from matters, amen. Many of us in our day and age, we no longer trust the media. Can I get an amen? In fact, many instead get their news from social media, which I'm not sure is all together much better. In fact, um, how many of you have ever posted something online and it's gotten fact-checked? And then what do you do when you get fact-checked? Is you fact-check the fact-checker. And my facts don't align with your facts and your facts don't align with my facts. And, and, and here's the thing about social media is, is there are algorithms unseen to our eye that are designed to show us the stuff that I want to see. So if I... If I believe that all elephants are pink and I've been Googling it 
then I'm likely to find articles on why elephants are always pink. Because the algorithm knows that that's what I want to hear. I know I'm not, I'm not breaking any new ground for you here, but I chose pink elephants because I don't think anyone has a strong opinion on it. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, is, is it's going to feed back to you what you already think and believe. In fact, I, I came across an article by The Guardian that, that basically tried to diagnose this problem in our society today on why we cannot agree on what is true. And it comes down to this, that, that our public arguments today do not revolve around how we interpret the facts. That's not what our arguments revolve around. Our arguments now revolve around which facts to believe. Which facts are even true. And so, really, in our, our public discourse, it's not about what is is. Uh, how we are interpreting the facts, it's about which facts are even really true. And so we, we've been hit with terms like alternative facts. Well, these are, are my facts and those are your facts because we live in a postmodern age, right? And, and we've been hit with terms like fake news. Anybody ever heard that one? That's fake news. <laughs> and there's even a lot of effort in rewriting history in our day and age and, and reinterpreting history based on a new set of facts. And so... We can't even agree on what used to be true in our day and age. And this article in The Guardian does, goes to great lengths to try and explain why that is. And, and part of it is that, that we live in echo chambers. Is it alright if I just get real where we're at tonight? Is, is when we open our phones because of the algorithms behind our social media platforms, we are fed back what we already think and what we already believe. And so life becomes an echo chamber where everything that I've been seeing seems to agree with what I already think, right? And, and perhaps the real culprit is that we have too much information at our fingertips. It's easy not to believe anything because I can find anything I want within a few seconds to refute it. Amen? If I don't like what you have to say, I can... Clickety-clack, don't talk back. Look, my phone says different. And, and so we, we now live in a day and age where we always are fighting about source, sources. Amen? <coughs> Excuse me, you have to bear with me. COVID's trying to steal my voice. And so, why am I bringing that up? Because we live in a world where we are constantly testing the sources of our information. And listen, there's a quote from this article that I had to share. It says this, once doubt descends on public life, people become increasingly dependent on their own experiences and their own beliefs about how the world really works. So the more information and the more doubt that is out there, the more I'm apt to think what I want to think, to believe what I want to believe, to continue doing what I want to do. And so before we will accept something is true and good, we ultimately want to know, where is this coming from? When we encounter information, opinions, and criticisms, origin matters. Motives matter. The intention of the person who said it matters to us. In fact, I, I saw a good illustration of this. It was, it was a meme, with two memes with one quote. 
And one of them was Julia Childs. Anybody know who Julia Childs, a famous cook, is? Amen. There's some Julia Childs fans here. And it said this. It said, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And then there was another one laid next to it. And it didn't have a picture of Julia Childs. It had a picture of Bruce Lee. And it also said that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And so it's not just what is said. You've got to consider who it's coming from and where it's coming from. You've got to consider the source. And so uh, a few years back, I, I, was, I was scrolling through social media, and I ran across a story I thought was, was brilliant by a friend of mine. And, and he talked about how he went on a hike in Minnesota and how he followed a map to, um, to discover the headwaters of the mighty Mississippi River. And he, he talked about how he wound down a trail and he came across to this place at Lake Itasca in Minnesota where out of the lake there, there flows just a trickle over some rocks. So you can go Google it. And In fact, there is a webcam on the headwaters of the Mississippi. And, and you can see just, uh, it looks like a small stream running over the rocks out of Lake Itasca. And, and, and at glancing at the source of the mighty Mississippi, you would never guess that, that that small trickle would join with 20 some odd rivers uh, along its way and that it would flow over 2,500 miles down through the center of the United States and that at its mouth in New Orleans, in the Gulf of Mexico, it will dump out 1.6 million gallons per second. And it all starts with just a trickle at the source. You would never imagine that such an impact would come out of such a small flow. You would never imagine that great maritime business would thrive based on the small trickle that is coming out of Lake Itasca. But you have to consider the source. It starts somewhere, but it goes somewhere. There's a flow to it. And as it flows, it deepens. And as it gets further from the source, other things begin to, uh, other rivers and tributaries begin to contribute to the flow. And by the time you get to the Gulf of Mexico, you have a modern world wonder because of what started at a small spring over 2,500 miles away. And it all began just at a small source. You see, our text alludes to this human truth that we must consider the source when on the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus slips into Jerusalem and, uh, and begins to teach in the temple. In John chapter 7, is, is a brilliant passage of scripture, and it's deep, and it's rich, and I hope to show you some of that right now, because Jesus, at this moment in his ministry, was the talk of the town. Everybody was wanting to know about this upstart Messiah named Jesus. It, he was the subject of religious conjecture and conversation. He was the talk of the town. People were arguing about whether he is a good man, leading people to God, or whether he was an evil man who was leading people astray. In fact, they were arguing about where he came from. 
John 7, 15. The Jews marveled, saying, how does he have learning when he has never studied? What they're asking is, as they hear the truths coming through his mouth, is where is this coming from? What is the source of, of, of this teaching and this wisdom? And, and they ask, how does he have learning when he has never studied? And, and Jesus, he answers them. He says, my teaching is not mine, but it's his who sent me. And if anyone's will is to do God's will, then they will know my source. Whether my teaching is from God or from man. He said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Because they were saying in their time what we say in our time. is where is this coming from? What is the nature and the origin of what he is saying? <coughs> Excuse me. And so... Throughout the debate, the issue of who Jesus is and where he comes from keeps coming up. Some believe he's the Messiah, but others believe that he cannot be the Christ because they knew where he came from. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> he can't be the Messiah. The scriptures say he'd be born in Bethlehem of Judah. But he comes from the wrong place. And you had religious scholars standing in the square arguing this Jesus is not the Messiah because he comes from the wrong place. They didn't know that his mom had the baby in Bethlehem and then moved and fled the scene to Nazareth. They didn't know that, but, but they're arguing, where, where does this come from? Jesus responds to their claims in verse 28. He says, you know me. And you know where I came from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. What's happening here? The controversy is born out of a misunderstanding. Of where Jesus was coming from. And they could really not know Jesus. He said because they did not know his source. Is anybody following with me? They say we... They thought they knew where he came from, but they didn't really know where he came from. And he said, you cannot know me unless you know him who sent me. You can't know me if you don't know him who sent me. Philip later asks him in John 14, he says, show us a father. And Jesus says, hold on, Philip. Have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me? You have not known me, Philip? He said, do you not believe that, that I am in the father and the father is in me? And he who has seen me has seen the Father. So, so how can you then say, show us the Father? What is Jesus saying? Is he saying, the reason that you don't understand me is because you don't understand where I come from. And you don't understand what my source is. And he says, when you know my source, then you'll know who I really am. And we know through the word of God that he is not just another man. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another preacher that came along to point the way. But 1 Timothy 3.16 tells us that he was God manifest in the flesh. Colossians 2 tells us that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him bodily. Galatians tells us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of woman made under the law. And so we know his source is deity. 
But Jesus says, he who sent me is true. And the problem that you're rejecting me is because you really don't know him. The controversy is born out of misunderstanding. And, and everything, everything comes from somewhere. Can I get an amen? Jesus came from God, but those who doubted and denied him were coming from somewhere too. Jesus said those who received him did so because they were seeking God's will. But those who doubted and denied him had a different agenda. And so Jesus, now this is a hard saying of Jesus. He says the people who don't believe in me, they don't believe in me because they're not seeking the will of God. They don't recognize me. Now here's, I, here's an incredible thing. The most educated religious uh, caste probably who, to have ever lived on the earth is the Pharisees. They could quote the Torah left and right, up and down. But when God showed up in flesh, when God showed up manifest in flesh, all the fullness of the Godhead that the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4 talks about was in Jesus Christ. There, right in front of them, he who has seen me has seen the Father, and they did not recognize him. Because you can quote scripture, you can learn the Bible, you can quote it left and right, but unless you're seeking the will of God, Jesus says you're not going to recognize who I am. And so, this reveals a great truth about the inner life of man. He said, because... They are coming from somewhere different. They have a different source in their life. They are missing the truth that is being lived out right in front of them. And so every life, somebody say this, every life, every life is the source of something. In Proverbs 4, I, I preached about this a few uh, months ago. Proverbs 4.20, he says, My son, give attention to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes and keep them in the midst of your heart. He said, for their life to those who find him and health to all their flesh. So keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And there are two truths that Solomon establishes here. Follow with me. Every life has a source. Everybody is looking to something. Every life has a source. And also that every life is a source. I want you to notice the pattern here. Solomon tells him, pay attention to my words and keep them in your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to their flesh. Somebody said that's a source. He says, if you focus your eyes and your heart on my word, it will be a source of health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So if the hearer finds the words of wisdom and truth and keeps them in their heart, they also become a source of life to those who find them and a source of health and healing to those who keep the word in their heart. So Solomon understood that everyone has something that they look to, and something that they believe in, something that they turn to, something that they hold in their heart. And I'm here just to say tonight in the beginning of this lesson that our struggles are defined by what we believe in and by what we look to. When we are coming to God, and let's just rewind to B.C. Y'all know before Christ. Let's rewind to B.C. Some of y'all don't want to go back there, but let's just rewind for a minute. Our struggle is defined by what we believe in and look to. If we believe that money is the answer, or should I say when we believed that money was the answer, 
It caused us to look to material things and desire them in our heart. So I look to them and then I desire them and I keep them in my heart and they become a source in my life. And out from that source comes greed and materialism and, and, and maybe I'm a workaholic because money is what I look to. Is anybody following me? When people look to those things, they become a source in their heart and in their life. And when we believe what people think about us matters more than what God thinks about us, what happens is we look to the approval of others and believe in our heart that we really need to please them. And here's what it does, is it creates an outcome of pride and of people-pleasing and of living a false life to please other people. Is anybody following me? It's what you look to and what you let in that defines the issues of your life. And this is why Solomon, he says, he says you need to look to the word of God and keep it in your heart. And then it will become a source of health and life to you. In other words, what he's saying is what God really wants to do is he wants you to get a new source so that you can be a new source. And so every life has a source. Everyone is looking to something. To some source of satisfaction and purpose in life. And Solomon says, if you incline your ear to my sayings and keep them in your heart, there will be life, health. And then Solomon gives us the second piece of the puzzle. He says, and keep your heart with diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. When something gets in your heart, your heart, here's what your heart is. Your heart is a a reproducer. It is a mass reproducer. And so say materialism gets in your heart and money gets in your heart. What it does is it begins to mass manufacture that issue into your life to where everything is defined by that issue and it begins to pump it out. How many of you know your heart is a pump? If you ever opened up a vein, you know that your heart is a pump. Because whatever's in there is coming out. Can I get an amen? And so this is what Solomon is trying to show us. Your heart begins to pump your issues out into your life. And so you have a source. That is whatever you look to and keep in your heart. But you are a source because whatever is in your heart begins to come out in your life. And that's why he warns us to keep our heart with all diligence. Because we have to be careful what we look to. And what we let in. Because that is how we create the sin and the struggles and the issues of our life. Listen, I I don't believe that anyone sets out to become an idolater or separated from God. They just give their devotion and their worship to lesser things. And when that gets in your heart, it pumps out the issues. Amen? And so every issue is born born by what we look to. And by what we let in. So we have to ask the question. What am I looking to? Because whatever I'm looking to is what I'm letting in. Can I get an amen? So people look to money. Some people look to fame. To pleasure. To comfort. If I'm looking to comfort and and my life story is I just want to be comfortable. And I don't want to have to work too hard. And that's what you think is the apex of living. Guess what? It's going to impact your life. And you're going to begin to pump issues out in your life. And you're going to come to God with those issues and say, God, I ain't got no money. 
I'm, po- I'm in poor, uh, poverty, God, I'm poor, I don't got no money. And you look to comfort. And so you mass produce it into your life. Or, or maybe it's power or approval or a host of other things. And, and here's how you know. It's when you say this, if I only had more power, then life would be better. If I only had more approval, life would be better. If I, if I only had more money, life would be better. If I only had more fame, life would be better. And this is how we begin to produce the issues that drag us away from God. And Solomon said this, he said, Son, do not let my words depart from your eyes. Why? Because what you look to will be eventually what you let in. What you look to will eventually, he says, keep it as frontlets between your eyes. He said, keep the word ever before you, my son, because if you get your eyes on the wrong thing and and you start looking to the wrong stuff, it's going to get down on the inside of you and it's going to start changing the fabric of your life. And what you let in springs up from the heart and begins to flow into your life. Listen, I've probably told this story before, but I made a big mistake when we first got married. I was young. I didn't know. I didn't know any better. We were just at home one afternoon, and a knock came on the door. I went and opened it, and there was a young lady standing there. She was wearing a red collared shirt, and she said, "Uh, Hi, can I just have a moment of your time? I said, Well, sure, trying to be Christian and neighborly. And she says, well, I'm with Rainbow Vacuums. And if, if I could just have five minutes of your time, I'd like to show you this vacuum. I said, look, we just got married. We don't make any money. I'm probably not going to buy a vacuum from you. She's like, well, you know, I, they, they, get, they, they like it better when I make my presentation. So can I at least just make my presentation? I said, make a presentation. I said, how long? And she said, oh, it'll just be five minutes or so. And uh, I said, okay, I'll tell you what, come on in. And I stepped aside, and, and I made a mistake. I opened the door, and I let her in. <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, she wasn't even off the first attachment, y'all. Anybody here got a rainbow vacuum? Amen. Anybody? Anybody ever seen the presentation? The whole presentation, God bless you. <laughs> Your crown's going to be big. <laughs> we got 15 minutes in, and she was still on the first one. I said, okay, well, we need to wrap it up. She said, well, I got still like... You know, I don't know how many more attachments, 10, 15 more attachments I wanted to show you. And she pulled out a can. If you could just let me spray this on your carpet. <laughs> and, and, and so she sprays it on the carpet. And then the vacuum is not taking it out of the carpet. And I got a stain on my carpet. And, and we're about 20 minutes in. And finally, I just threw my hands up and I said, ma'am, I was doing this just to be nice. I'm not buying your vacuum. I want you to go ahead and leave our house. And, and she said, well, can I just show you one more? I said, no, no more, no more. You can't. You know, it's like a child. You can't, you can't be kind at all. You just have to be resolved. <laughs> I said, no more, no more. We need you to leave. We need you to leave. And she says, well, can I get a glass of water? I said, I'll tell you what. You go wait on the curb outside and I'll bring you one. And literally, I want to tell you, it took me as long as her presentation to get her out of my house. Because I made the mistake. I let it in. <laughs> and then I couldn't get rid of it. And it started staining my carpet. And, and, and want to show me all the attachments. And listen, I want to tell you something. When you look to money and when you look to fame and, and you start letting those things in, they don't just come to take a little bit of your life. They don't just come to take a little bit of your heart. They want to move in and they want to set up shop and show you the whole nine yards. And that's what happens when we look to the wrong stuff and let it in. It takes up residence in our heart. 
It takes up residence in our life. And listen, we're going to need something stronger than a rainbow vacuum to get it out. (laughs) Because what you look to and what you let in begins to take up residence. And that's what the, uh, the, uh, the wise man Solomon is telling us, is what you let in springs up from your heart and it flows into your life. And so you are, I want to tell you this tonight, you are the source of something. And I just hope that you'll look at your life that way for a moment in time. As you are a source of something. Something is springing out of your heart and flowing into your life and into the lives of those people who are around you every single day. Whether it's good or whether it's evil. Whether it's blessing or whether it's cursing. Whether, whatever it is, you are a source of something. And something is flowing out of your life. And let me tell you something, when, you, when you've not yet received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and, and when you're living for your own devices, and you're looking to all the wrong things, you may not know it, you may not intend it, you may not realize it, but your life is a conduit for something. And your life is pumping out things that you may not even realize and that you may not even understand. And you're either shipping out life to those around you or death. Because every life is the source of something. I, I love the passage in 2 Kings chapter 2. The Bible says the men of Jericho had a problem with what was flowing into their city. And, and so uh, the, the story of the scripture tells us that women were having miscarriages. That, that people are dying in their city. Plants were not producing in Jerusalem. They were watering the plants, but the plants would not grow. And somehow they came and they figured out that they had an issue with their water. And the city was good, but the water was bad. And so they went to Elisha the prophet to try to figure out how how can we remedy this problem of what's flowing into our city. And 2 Kings 2.19 says this, The men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and so the land is unfruitful. They're saying that that everything is as it should be, but somehow it's just not working. Life is not being produced. And so the scripture says that he tells them to bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And so they bring him a bowl and they put salt in it. And the Bible says in verse 21 that he goes to the spring of water up above the city. He goes just like that hiker and he tracks his way to the source of the city's water. He doesn't go down to, to the bottom of the flow where it enters into the city where, or the pool where they're drawing it out of for their homes or for their animals. He, he doesn't go to the well, but the scripture says that he goes and he finds the spring of water. And he says here, thus says the Lord... I have healed this water, and from now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. And so the water, Scripture says, has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. You see, the issue in Jericho wasn't the issue. The spring was the issue. And so there was a problem at the source, but they were seeing it in the city. And the only way to take care of the issues of life is to deal with the problem of the spring. 
Here's what we do is we try to treat the flow. We try to treat the well. We try to treat the pools where we're used to interacting with it. But the prophet knew enough by the Spirit of God to say that if this thing is going to turn around, if the flow is going to bring life, we've got to get back to its source and to its spring. Hang on with me. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. You see, springs are formed underground when water runs along hard, impenetrable rock and then percolates to the surface where a rock outcropping often appears. And most of the region of Jericho has substantial formation of karstic limestone below the surface, which allows the rainwater to be absorbed until it reaches underlying granite bedrock. And then it begins to flow into the adjoining valleys and occasionally there it springs to the surface. Up on the surface, stuff was dying around Jericho. But the root of the problem was deep beneath. And not all springs produce good water. Sometimes the wrong substance under the surface could create chaos where the water flows to. And this is exactly what happened. So Elisha brought healing to where the surface met the source. This is what I've come to talk about. Is This is what God really wants to do in our life. You see, the Holy Ghost is not, is not just an extra experience, an add, add on top to what the believer lives and experiences. It's not a, just an extra, but it's the whole aim of the scripture. And I want, I want you to see that in the Bible tonight, that what God really wants to do in our lives is he wants to deal with what's deep under the surface so he can change what's flowing out of our life. God wants to flip the flow of our life. And he wants to transform us from being a source of sin, a source that's pumping out shame. Anybody ever feel that way, that, that you're just pumping out shame and guilt and, and condemnation and defeat and doubt? And, and he, the Bible says what he really wants to do is he wants to take all of that and he wants to transform your inner person so that you are now a source of hope. A source of joy, a source of strength, a source of life and liberty, salvation to your friends and your family and those that are around you in your community. How, how does he want to do that? He wants to deal with your heart because what you let live in your heart will make an appearance in your life. And he wants, he wants to change what's flowing out of you. And that's where John 7 comes in. As they are debating where Jesus himself comes from and where his source is. The people are struggling with whether to believe Jesus or not. And they're debating where he came from and who sent him. And their conversation sets us up for a revelation. How many of you still with me say amen? We're almost there. We're almost done. They were gathered for the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is a week-long festival where there's an annual reminder to the people that God is the great shepherd who has chosen to tabernacle among them. Isn't it interesting that during the Feast of Tabernacles, they're debating where Jesus comes from and who he is? Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That word 
in Christ means that God was tabernacling among them. Just like His presence dwelt in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, He was here tabernacling in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And so they're celebrating this week in the Feast of Tabernacles and celebrating the great shepherd who had chosen to tabernacle among them and to protect and bless them wherever they would wander. And so each year the Jewish people would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem where they would build small huts and booths to remind themselves of how God provided and how they depended on Him when He led Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And so they would do this year after year. And John 7.14 says that then midway through the festival, on the great day of the feast, the culmination of the revelation of what they were celebrating, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. And he begins to teach over the remaining days of the feast. Discussion uh, of the, uh, about him intensifies all throughout the streets. And they're discussing who he is, where he's come from, whether or not he's the Messiah, whether or not Jewish leaders are going to arrest him because they know he's the Messiah. And they're debating. They haven't arrested him because they know it's him. And others say, no, they haven't arrested him because it's not him. And, and, and they're all arguing about Jesus. Jesus is the topic of conversation. John tells us that many who heard believed on him, and the Jews sought to arrest him. And all anybody was talking about was Jesus. Follow me here. The Feast of Tabernacles had three main rituals. One, they would build and stay in these temporary tents. Two, they would light up the temple at night. And then there was the daily drink offering. Everybody say the daily drink offering. What they would do is every day they would go to the, the spring of Siloam in Jerusalem. Every day of the feast with great ceremony. And, and, and they would draw water from the pool of Siloam. And they would bring it to the temple. Where the priests would pour out the water as an offering to God. And what it commemorated was the river of water that God brought from the rock in the wilderness. And so you, you got to get this scene and picture as Jesus stands up in the middle of these ceremonies. In that scene and setting that Jesus stood on the last day of the feast after they've been debating him all this time to answer all the questions and conversations about him. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What is he saying there? He's saying, I am the rock. In the wilderness. I'm the one that you have to look to. If you want to fulfill your hunger and thirst. I am the source and the supply of what your spirit needs. And if you are thirsty and lost and hopeless. Like Israel was in the wilderness. And you thought they thought they had no place to get a drink of water. That they couldn't even last one more day. When God showed Moses a rock. If you're there, if you're lost and you're thirsty and you're looking for answers, Jesus stands up and he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. To the Jew, there could have been no clear statement on whether or not he is the Messiah. Jesus' voice booms out over the crowd who's watched them draw water from the pool of Siloam and carefully deliver it to the temple. And as they, I believe, they're walking up to the temple, Jesus' voice booms out over the silent crowd. If anyone's thirsty, 
let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John 7.39 explains, now this he said about the spirit whom those believing on him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What, what am I saying here? What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. Is that something transformational happens when we look to Jesus and we believe on him as the scripture has said. Something else, something entirely new, the Bible says, begins to well up within us so that it can flow out of us. And John interjects that Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him would receive. But it was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Listen, nobody received the Holy Ghost till after Jesus went up into the clouds. Nobody. Nobody received the baptism of the Holy Ghost until Acts chapter 2. Amen? So I've come all this way to teach right here. Is that this is not some additional blessing. Jesus says that the result of believing in Him... As the scripture has said, is that it changes the flow of your heart and your life. And it does it by means of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was revealing to us that when we receive the baptism of the Spirit, that it is the outer evidence of an inner change. It's where the surface meets the source. And something begins to flow out of our life that never flowed there before. Where it was producing death and sin and shame and guilt and separation from God. When you look to Jesus and you believe on him as scripture has said. And you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It begins to change the source of your life. And in changing the source of your life it changes the flow. Jesus said it this way. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. What Jesus was saying is that when you get full of the Holy Ghost, it transforms your existence. No longer are you pumping out the issues of sin and shame and guilt and condemnation. And, and, and no longer are you pumping out whatever it was you used to be looking to. But when you are a Holy Spirit filled, baptized believer, your life is intended to be the source of living water for somebody else. He flips the flow in your life. Jesus was revealing that that outer evidence of an inner change happens. You see, living water is water that has a source and has a destination. It's coming from somewhere and it's flowing to somewhere. It's coming from someone and it's flowing to someone. You see, that, that's what living water is. That, that this tank is as wonderful as it served is not living water. Because you put it in there and guess what happens? Is it stays in there. And we had to empty it out. Because it started to stagnate after a few days. Living water has a destination and it has a source. It comes from somewhere and it flows to somewhere. And so this is the picture of the spirit-filled life. God did not create you to, to be a water tank for Jesus. 
But when he filled you with his spirit, he intended that your life become a source of something for somebody else. See, the gift of the Holy Ghost isn't just about us. Its purpose is to transform our lives into a conduit of living water that will flow into the lives of people around us. And listen, when we are spirit-filled, and when we live in the spirit, it gives life to our relationships. It gives hope to the broken. It brings light to the dark places. Because the Holy Ghost is meant to flip the flow of what used to flow in your life. And listen, I I picked up the Bible today and I began to read. This really wasn't in my notes, but I want to share it anyways. In the book of Galatians, Paul wrote, because the Spirit-filled church had gotten away from its roots and from its core. And they started delving off into the religion of the Judaizers. And they started looking back to the law rather than looking to Jesus and, and Paul writes to them with an indictment. He says, having, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He says, you had the Holy Ghost. The Spirit was flowing in you and through you and producing life. He says, but what you did is you traded sources again. And when you traded sources, now... What you're pumping out isn't helping anybody to live anymore. And he says, you can't be perfected if you don't have living water flowing out of your life. That is the purpose and the point of the Holy Ghost is to redeem not just our life and not just to regenerate our spirit and our soul into relationship with God, but it is to be a pocket of revival in a dark and a dying world. That is what a Christian is called to be. You're meant to be a source of life-giving water. And so the Holy Ghost, listen, I love the Holy Ghost. We were talking about this in the office. It was never intended to be a flag that you plant and say, look, I got it. My ticket's punched. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to be a tank the rest of my life. (laughs) No. No, he he wants it to flow through you. He wants to use you in the kingdom of God. He's going to intersect your paths with, with some people that need watering, who have no hope in life. Some people who are looking to other things and they, they're dead and they're dry and they, they don't have what you have and, and your, your spirit is going to interact with their spirit and out of your life is going to flow words and, and love and relationship that is going to awaken them to the awareness that there is a God who loves them, who has called them, who wants to reach them. That is the purpose of the Holy Ghost. It's not just for empowerment. It it saves us. It regenerates us. But it doesn't just regenerate us. It creates in us the power of regeneration. The word of reconciliation. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is we have to let it. Because there are many people who have had an experience with the Holy Ghost that don't have an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to receive the baptism of the Spirit. But Paul said it this way. He said that that you're going to produce one of two things. In Galatians 5, he says, Now the works of the flesh are these. He talks about murder and fornication and adultery and sexual immorality and all of these things. He says, "If 
if you get out of step with the Spirit and you start walking in the flesh, you're going to produce corruption. You're going to be like the spring in 2 Kings. Is the city's good, but no babies are being born. Things are dying. Animals, miscarriages, plants are dying. No life is being given because you've gotten out of the Spirit and into the flesh. He says, the works of the flesh are these. And he says, and you know that those who produce such will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says they sacrifice the life-giving flow that came from Jesus because they now operate according to the flesh. But he says, but if you walk in the Spirit, if you live after the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is righteousness and peace and joy and patience and long-suffering. And so here's the question I've come to ask you tonight is what is your life producing? What is it producing? Because something is flowing out of it. Something is proceeding forth from who you are. And some people have the Holy Ghost, but they don't have an ongoing relationship. They've received a one-time experience, but they, they never let it flow in their life. They had a one-time experience, but they stopped looking to and believing on Jesus. Now, if you ask them their doctrine, their doctrine might be right. But it's really a matter of what you look to and what you're letting in. And listen, is it all right if I say this? That, that we, can, we know that we can come to church and not really let God in. We know that we can open the Bible every morning and not really let God in. We know that we can live religious lives where we do all the religious things and not really let God in. In fact, you can open, you can read the Bible every day and still think money is your answer. You can open your Bible every day and still think that the approval of people is what really matters in your life and love the glory of men more than you love pleasing God. You see, the issue is down deep beneath the surface. Is what are you looking to? And what are you letting in? And I want to tell you, the more that we look to Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith, and the more that we daily let Him into the interior of our heart to do heart surgery and heart work, the more our life becomes a source of life for other people around us. The more the water begins to flow, and the more the Spirit begins to move, and the more that others around us begin to find what we found, and the more that God's will begins to be accomplished in the earth, because we were created, we were created to be a source. So we have to consider the source. And we have to look to Jesus every single day. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. How many of you received that word tonight? Anybody received that? How many of you want to be a source of life to somebody else? I wonder if we could just pray before we close in this place. Lord, God, we receive your word, God. God, we cannot overestimate the value of the baptism of your spirit in our life and the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, God. God, we cannot afford in this day and hour to act like it's just another box that we check. But Lord, I pray that you would awaken us to life in the Spirit. That you would awaken us to living in the Holy Ghost. To hearing the voice of God. To being moved by the Spirit of God. I pray, Lord, that you would let the river flow through our lives, God. Let the river flow through our church, God. Let the river flow through our ministry. God, through, through every ministry and every wing and every area of this church, God, I pray that you would let the river of the Holy Ghost flow because, God, you want to bring life to this city, Lord. You want to bring life and hope to our families. God, you want to bring life and hope to Monroe and to West Monroe. 
and the surrounding areas. And so, God, I pray that you would let the river flow in us. In Jesus' name.